Yes, people, how are we all doing? I hope we're doing really well. Welcome back to Process, a podcast with myself, Brendan Pearson. So today we are joined by a very special guest. He is Chris Fackery, who is an ex-professional footballer, played in Italy, Germany, Malta, and now playing in England at Blythe Spartans, one of my teammates. So we talked with Chris about his whole football career, starting off at Newcastle United when he was in the academy. He was released at 16. How he dealt with that, we talk about the mindset and everything, obviously getting released at a, at a Premier League football club at a young age is, it can be very mentally tough to deal with. How he got over it, how it ended up leading him to, to go and play in Italy for a number of years, sign professional over there. And some of the crazy stories he tells about the culture over there where the fans literally taking over the football club and some of the stories are very, very interesting, definitely worth listening to, so stay put for that. We talk about obviously his journey through all the different countries, all the different teams that he played with and also Chris shares a tragic story about his brother and some of the other things that he was dealing with at the same time with a divorce and bringing up two young kids at the same time while trying to play football and it actually ended up um, ending his full-time professional football career at that moment. So stay put for that one. Again, it's a really interesting story and I appreciate Chris opening up and talking about it because enough not enough, sorry, is said about this subject. So we talk about that and then we also talk a bit about his life after football, what he's doing now and all the lessons that he's learnt along the way. So it's definitely an episode worth listening to. We'll get on with it now. This is Process. Yes, people, welcome back to Process. Today we're joined by a very special guest today, one of my teammates, Mr. Chris Fackery. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, matey. Thanks for having us on. Pleasure to have you on. No worries, mate. It's an absolute pleasure because it's, it's always interesting because we obviously we know each other through football, but we've only been what playing together for what, a few months, so it's quite nice to get to know you a little bit more. And obviously, for everyone else listening, know a bit about yourself and obviously the big career that you've had over how many how many years have you been playing? When did you first start professionally? Um, I moved to Italy when I was just eighteen. So eighteen, yeah. I can say we'll we'll get we'll get into the whole Italy thing because beforehand. Like just get going all the way back to the start. When did you first start getting into football? Because you're you're a local lad as well, aren't you? From from the northeast originally. Oh, are you not? Oh, I'm yeah, correct. I grew up in Chesley Street, and all right. And I'm the youngest of three three brothers, so I think that just helped us playing with them and competing with them and getting pushed around and playing in the garden. And from then, I just I just got into a little Sunday team like most lads do. At nine, which was actually a bit late, really. Normally, if you see them now, they're like five, six, doing uh, little camps and things, and I hadn't done anything, so I didn't even know if I was any good. But I got in and got scouted by Newcastle within within the year, um, and I ended up being in the academy for about seven years until I was released at sixteen. Yeah. Short. So it's a similar sort of. To be fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a similar, similar sort of thing to me, though, in terms of, like, I started probably football boys club at, like, nine. But I was, uh, I think I was, just, I went striker for one game, moved back to centre-half, and then was in goal after that. Really? It was just a natural, natural regression. In in two games, I got stuck in there. But, like, same sort of thing. Was it the same sort of setup was when I was there in terms of, there was, like, a development centre, and then you got kind of in the development centre, you went into the, the academy. Was it the same sort of thing then, or was it different? I think we, we were, like, the last year of the school of excellences and then it became academies but oh, right. we, it just kind of started when we went in um 
and yeah, it was like every year you got assessed and got through and you had to get, it was quite a, you know, when you look back, it was a really high pressure situation for, for young, for young, uh, young lads at that time. Um, and it's that's probably shaped me as a person being, being analyzed and, and criticized and trying to reach goals, you know, from that age, it's like, you just become kind of immune to it and it, it, it shapes you always trying to reach and push and, and, and be good enough. Like, um, that's how I view it now looking back, you know? Yeah. I don't think you realize it that much at the time when you're young, you just see it as that, right. I need to go out and just play football kind of thing. But if you're looking back at it, it is brutal. Cause there's lads at the end of every year who get released. Like some of your mates get released at the end of the year. And you might not see them as much. Like you're, you're in that environment when you're with each other four or five, even six days a week, sometimes even when you're young and then end of the year, lads get released and you never hear of them again kind of thing it's crazy do you feel like you missed out on the boys club sort of environment because speaking to Adam Armstrong in one of the podcasts he talked about it kind of missing that fun competitiveness but still like the fun more fun side of football enjoying it when you're young do you feel like you missed much of that when you were obviously going into the setup? I missed a lot of the years uh, but probably got lucky in a sense getting released at 16 I had those two years, 16 to 18, like where boys clubs probably at its strongest. And I played for um, Chelsea Street Town and we're, we're, like a lot of the best players went there at the time. Chris Basham, he was playing there, like Mark Anderson, um, with Spenny Moore, had a good good career abroad as well. Um, loads of other players who did well. We all we won the Cups, we won the league. So I got a good little experience of, of club football um, as well as the academy setup. But But I agree with what you're saying. It's... For me, it wasn't a it wasn't a fun time being in the academy. It was like I said, high pressure, striving, reaching for this goal of getting into that eventually into a first team. You know, you'd be ball boy and you'd go in St James's and you'd, you'd like would do Champions League games and shake the flag in front of like fifty two thousand, and it was just ingrained from being young that that's what we were aiming for, and. One of the reasons I wanted to get into the, the podcast, and I know we talked about it a little bit like off off air thing, but is the mental health side of that because you've got a goal and you've got a dream, mm-hmm. and when it doesn't happen, it causes massive problems. And I've obviously I've got friends, you'll have friends who have struggled with mental health, and I was lucky that I, I got to you know I escaped it and got into the pro game at 18 and, and had a, a good little run. But 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 it's the ones who didn't where what who I worry about really you know. Yeah, I was gonna say because I'm talking about mental health and stuff like even at the minute there's been obviously a few recent suicides in, in young males like well from not just from the football background but just in general and I think at a young age we're kind of first of all we're nurtured quite a lot I think the generation that you were probably like a gener- kind of a generation before me but definitely my generation were nurtured quite a lot especially in the football aspect, like when you're in an academy set up like Newcastle United, like a like what they call them, category one sort of setups now, you are nurtured and kind of in this environment where a lot's done for you and it's kind of every step set up for you in a sense and you're almost like we talked about, you're going out on the pitch and you're waving the flag in front of 52,000 people, kind of, your only, your only vision is playing in the first team and you didn't really get told, well, you do get told but not like, I didn't feel I got physically told like this is going to be really fucking tough like to get to the level of the first team like you there's going to be a lot of ups and downs there's going to be times where you're really struggling mentally you're not going to be playing you might have a bad run of form somebody might be playing ahead of you and might have a, like an argument with the management or something like that 
it's not going to be just a straight line, which I kind of always thought it was going to be. And I think a lot of lads do, make, especially when, they, when you get to that 16-year-old where it's either you get your scholarship or you're, you're kind of away. A lot of lads just don't, they don't think about anything else, but my life's just going to go like this and I'm going to be in the first team, which I think is why, like we talked about, is it's, it's a big kind of issue within young footballers mentally, like dealing with that sort of, that sort of knockdown, it, especially at 16 where you've you've played in Newcastle for what, seven years and you've played football all your life, it is kind of crush you. Just how did you deal with that mentally? What was the, your kind of mindset, if you can remember at 16, getting told that you weren't going to stay at the club anymore? Um, Like I say, it's built in here and it's, it might not be built into everyone the same, but it was, I was just driven and it was the only thing I wanted to do. Maybe it was the only thing I wanted to do because it's all I ever did from that age. And it was, and I, and, and I, it was the only thing I could really say I was good at. So, and obviously it's a very, really attractive career and thing that you've got to aim for. So I was just focused. Even when I got released, I knew I was um, underdeveloped and I wasn't as strong as the other lads and I was getting, starting to get pushed around. I, like I was late in the, puberty and filling out and all that so I kind of knew if I if I just kept going and and pushing and me, me size and, and height and strength would come and that's what I did I, I went on trial after trial when I got released I must have went 10 12 clubs me and Chris, me and Chris Basham went around uh, I remember one one the first one we went it was Scunthorpe we drove down uh, like Christmas time freezing frozen pitch like a trial game. And we'd come from Newcastle, like, yeah. you know, they were in the Champions League at the time, a big club. We thought we were the shit, really. Like, oh, of course, we can walk into Scunthorpe. Like, you know, you put us both in centre midfield, we both got hauled off after half an hour. And uh, and I remember the manager, it, it, like half time, he went, you know, if, if you think you can come down here and just walk in, you know, you need to really have a, a good look at yourselves and understand it's going to be a battle from now on. And it was just a big slap in the face and the realisation that, you know, it's it's going to be tough. But kept going, kept going, trial after trial after trial, rejection, rejection, just... And it's just, honestly, just to keep going that gets you through. Not everyone. I'm sure there's a lot of lads who've kept going and never got through, but it's the only chance you've got when you're hitting reject, And, and that's when people go, right now, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and work in uh, Nissan or all respect to people that work in Nissan but like I'm going to go and get a be a plumber I'm going to you know the change because they're just sick of the rejection and the stress but I I got the break at the very you know I was going to go to America on a scholarship I'd signed I was going to go away and you know and try and get through that way and just before I left that's when I got picked up so like I say I got out right at the last minute uh, as did Bash uh, not to mention him again because you know he's got a big enough head, but <laughs> he got out at the same time. Yeah, um, it is just that mental resilience. I think a lot of like like we talk about a lot of young lads don't have that, and there's I can think of so many lads at the top of my head that when they were like fourteen, fifteen, they were they were the shit. They were the next big thing, and even when it gets like sixteen, they might have got released and they probably never played football again, or even got released at eighteen after having a two years full time apprenticeship having taste and like tastes with the first team doing this and then they just sack it off completely or they just go and play like an alliance league or just with the pals on a Sunday morning sort of thing. It's it's crazy kind of how the kind of the, the people who have got that mindset, it kind of shows 
even if they don't they don't kind of make it within the first five years of the career they might make it down the line yeah like if you, if you do have that kind of passion for something you do kind of see yourself pursuing something and you, you have that mindset that like just go just go for it 100 percent. even if you get rejection after rejection after rejection or even yeah. injuries there's a lot that comes with especially football it's you're bargaining with your life in a sense because it is a it's a tough industry but just you've got to have that resilience and that that mindset of thinking not you know what no matter what they think no matter what happens to me if i get knocked back i'm going to kind of take that as a, an opportunity to to build my mental strength up but then take it forward and keep pursuing keep, keep pursuing a career i think but it is tough it's a bit of a like a catch-22 really when you it's a gamble if you're going into the academy young you've got to understand there's very few going to make it obviously we know that but you've also got to commit fully to it like you like how much do you sacrifice like going out with your friends and trying to eat the right things when you're going through an academy if you're trying to do it properly you know, I didn't go down the park drinking uh, flipping White Star with my mates. Not that I want to do, but I missed out on all those things because I thought I was, you know, I was in the back garden doing kip ups in the flipping against me little rebounder thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like trying to, not every night I wasn't psycho, but that's what I was, that's where I was putting my time. So you, you've got to, if you can do it right, you can try and build up another interest and, and focus on your studies as well. And while you're going through, that's ideal. Um, but to fully commit is, is is probably what the ones who make it do, you know, unless you're super talented, yeah. like really talented. Yeah, yeah. There is the, there's always one or two people that are just gifted. Oh, yeah, they, cool. they do just Google. There's always a few that, right, never get injured. It just turn up, rock up the train and know what they feel like and they just they, they do have a career. But like you said, it is gambling with your own life. And when you're committing your whole life to something, doing like what you said, rather than going out with your mates on a, on a Friday night or something like that, you're in the back garden, do some keep you up, your nutrition's good, you're in bed two hours before everyone else when they're all on the Xbox because you've got a game the next day. All that sort of stuff. Yes, it's brilliant if you, if it kind of pays off, but it, it's when it doesn't pay off straight away or doesn't pay off like in the end. That's when it's tough like mentally because you've just sacrificed your whole life, so many hours, so many days, and it, it can hit you hard, but... You've got to think about it in a in a positive way that not you can't see if you don't make it as a professional football. It might be injury, for example. You might have spent fifteen years of your career playing football, putting time after time, and and you don't make it because of an injury. You can't think of that fifteen years as wasted. Think of it as a time of right. I've I've built this this mindset, this resilience, and this this kind of routine, in in and instilled it into my mindset. I can go and put that into something else like. Yeah. For example, a podcast or a business or something else, or even if it's an injury, physiotherapy. If you've got that sort of interest and that knowledge, make the most of it. But it is hard to kind of have that plan B in your head when you're a footballer, because, like you said, if you want to be the best of the best, you have to be hundred percent into something. Yeah. Like so, right? It's, it's a tough kind of balance. Like me, me, one of my good mates. I've mentioned him earlier, that uh, Callum Little, and he won't mind us just touching on it you know he he was a really talented player throughout the academy and got into the got a yts like a youth a youth two-year youth and uh and got released at 18 and and his he really put all his identity into being a player a footballer and, and he sacrificed so much he was the ultimate train at home do everything right like on another level i've never seen anything like it and he turned pro in holland and then got a a really bad ankle injury and he's he's still recovering now from it you know he's 
because he's put his whole persona into that. So what, now that that hasn't happened, it's it's finding out like, what do I do now? Who who am I? Like, well, if I can't do that, and and everyone I knew growing up saw me as that, what what do I do now? Where would where do I go? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the kind of people who need help, I think. Yeah, the people that just sort of it's like it's like no nobody's fault really when stuff like that happened. It's not their fault at all. And when you talked about when you kind of got that. Like, for example, the town that I'm in, like the local area, like at school, I was always known as the footballer yeah. kind of thing. And when I haven't made it in, I was at Newcastle since I was nine and left at 21. Because I haven't made it to the first team, like I could see that as a failure. And if everyone's looking like, oh, like I wasn't playing football at all for like a full 16, 18 months. I was out of the game completely. Uh, people could think like, oh, look, it's just a failure footballer, failed footballer kind of thing. Like my mates hit the miss out, make out with sometimes for it, but it's a bit of banter and stuff. But... Like that can massively affect like someone like when you've you've put your your whole life and your whole energy into something and that's that's your kind of that's your label in a sense and when you haven't made it, it it can just completely wipe you wipe you out completely. So you've got to find that that's something else to put your mind mind into. But at the same time, like what like we mentioned, you've got to put your heart and soul into what you do to actually get anywhere. So it's a it's a very tricky situation it's the gamble that you take on your own life in a sense but we'll come back to that right at the end come on talk a little bit more about you honing on you a little bit mate so talking about you after after Newcastle you went to Italy so how did the whole Italy thing come about uh long story short I got I got into the England colleges uh national team so like you go through a trial system and you get into the, the final squad hopefully and there was tournaments in Italy and it was all like really attractive when I first went in and that was what I was aiming for and I, I managed to get there and, and played the first one in Rome and did well and then went back again to Naples for the second one and and that's when I got I just got scouted in the game and you know talking about resilience and I just I'll just tell this little story because I think it's a good one for for young people um relating it to football and, and, and never to give up because in the first tournament, I got like I got player of the tournament in for, for our team, voted by our players and our squad. So it was a big deal for me. In the next tournament, I was on the bench. So I was like, eh, like, oh eh. You know what I mean? What you gotta do? Get a start. But I just I kept my head down. I went, right, I'm gonna prove you wrong. So the first couple of games, I come off the bench, I did well. I was playing centre midfield then. And I and I just had a I was really I'm really proud looking back on my attitude at that time and it paid off. And in like we got to the semi-final and the starters in the semi-final, and that's when I, I scored a goal like from quite far out in top corner and it just got us it was a a bit of luck with you know it, it, I don't know I, I kind of earned the luck and I got spotted and I said would you like to come down for a week's trial. Uh, with the, the Serie A club, Regina, who I'd never heard of, really. You know, I was like, absolutely yes. So the, everyone went home and I stayed and the, these two little Italian men came and picked us up. We drove like six hours down in the car. No, we couldn't communicate. We just pulled over at the service and chucked like a prosciutto, been, um, pedina, like, you know, toasted with ham and cheese and like threw that out as a bottle of water and just kept going. <laughs> I didn't know where I was going. <laughs> Um, and I got there and I was so hungry. 
after all the rejection and all the, the shit. And this was a chance to go right to the top, like jump in where I've been aiming for, not like trying to get a, a League Two club and League One and just stay in England. Like I was like skipping it all and going to where I've dreamed of playing. I, I loved, you know, watching Football Italia on Channel 4. You're probably too young. But yeah. it was a programme on Sunday where it was all just Serie A and stuff and I loved it. And, and it was like all my dreams were coming true. So I was just going to throw everything at it. And uh, I was ruthless. I was brutal. I was, I was tackling people. I was, the only word I knew was C, which is yes. So I was just running around shouting, C, 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 like, give the ball, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, it paid off and offered us a two-year deal. And, I mean, you need that toughness in those months because those lads don't want you coming in, especially as a foreigner, and taking their spot. And no one spoke to us at the meals. No one, you know, helped us. No one translated anything for us. I'm just like, the coach is talking. I'm just like trying to wing it and watch what the other ones are doing, you know, and passing drills, stuff like that. So you need to be really hungry once you get the chance. And I was, I did, mm-hmm. and I got it. Um, and from there, I just, I did two years with them in the reserves and then got a three-year pro with that same club and went on loan to League Two. Yeah. So I. Yeah. I was going to say, a lot of young lads, I f- feel, in, especially these days, would probably struggle with that trial environment. How long were you on trial for? Was it like a, a, a week? week or two weeks or just a week? Yeah, the week trial. Like I've talked about with lads before. Like tr- going trial in places is brutal. Yeah. It is brutal because again, like you said, nobody, nobody really wants you because if someone's in the same position, you're there. Like who's this lad on trial? Like I've already signed on. I didn't want him coming in. So no one's gonna speak to you. You're not part of the team. You're trying to interact with people in the. Some you might get the odd nice lad, but in your case, like you don't speak the language, so you can't actually like communicate with like you're literally just on your own. And to have that, that confidence and that resilience in yourself to actually go and do that obviously shows a lot. And like I said, I think a lot of younger lads would would struggle in that environment, especially from like an academy setup when a lot of things are done for you, especially these days, going away and going to a different country where no one can speak the language. It it shows a lot about your your character and stuff. So. Fair play yeah, on that one. It's a tough, tough environment to go in. What do you think the um, the biggest difference in terms of the football culture was that you've seen going obviously abroad to Italy compared to, to batting? Obviously, it was a while ago. You were a young lad still. Do you think there was a big difference in terms of the football culture itself? Yes. Um, they go right into detail on everything. And the really... Mm-hmm. Like Italians believe everything they do is the best, like, you know, food, football, yeah. you know, they think it's the best place to live and they're not wrong most of the time. And the, there's a real culture around the football, how you do things, everything from how you eat, how you warm up. You know, we did so many technical drills, like we're like 18, 19, 20, like on the cusp of the, the first team. And there's, it was a huge, concrete wall every mo- every morning would be out there with these little blow your penny floaters just doing technique like left foot right foot volleys like laces like heading it off the wall just you had to do that before the warm-up and you know yeah. when people say you, your techniques kind of between a certain age you can develop it but we we were still going at it at that age and, and sharpening it up and you really did see see improvements like and then just going into detail how you run, how you turn. Like if someone turned the wrong way defending when they were tracking back or crossed it or 
took their eyes off the ball and spun around, you know what I mean, running the wrong way. The coach would stop the session and go berserk and he would just single you out. It was a full, full team effort, like tactically. If you were, you had to pull your weight for the team. Where in the academy in England, when I look back, it was, I don't know, I, I don't know what I actually learned. I learned intensity and, and, and you know, we did a lot of turns and passing. I can't really remember being taught specific things which would actually help us in a game. Maybe yeah. being harsh and it's a long time ago, but I, I didn't, I, that's what I, I remember thinking that. Do you feel when you were in the academy setup, it was very much self-centered around you in terms of your, you weren't playing for like a team in a sense, especially going through the age group, you're kind of playing for yourself and it was only based on your performance that really mattered, not if you won the team won at the end of the game. Do you feel like it was that was a big difference, especially because you're talking about working as a team and stuff when you went away, and it's almost like talking about the, the fine like margins, like the one percent extra that can kind of take you that little obviously that little bit further and help the team. So do you feel like that was one like a big difference as well? Yeah, and it's I think it's a good point. Like you should learn to be in a team because teams are the only mm -hmm. things that win things if you know how to be a person in that machine, like working for each other. If you like, I remember in the academy we had these books would fill in. Are you frozen? You froze there for a bit. Oh, all right. Did I? Yeah, yeah. I, for some reason, I could see you the whole time. Keep it, keep it rolling. All right. Never happened. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Never happened. I see little little books at the academy. I saw had like uh, on the bus on the way back from the game. You'd have a one to five. You'd you'd ring what you thought you did well in. So it was all individual, like you thinking about you. Which is, it's not going to harm, but real, like when I went there, I realized if you don't work together, you are out. If you couldn't fit into what the coach wanted, you are out. And that wasn't just on the pitch, that was in the, in the, like in the, where we used to eat. We'd all be eating on a long table together. You'd all, you'd have to mix, you'd have to yeah. talk. Everyone ate the same thing. Like you didn't wear flip flops walking around outside. Like it didn't, you had to wear trainers. You couldn't wear like them thong flip-flops in the showers. They had loads of these little rules and conditions um, which actually build um, team spirit when everyone's following the same mm -hmm. rules. There was like a phrase on the wall, I'm not going to say it. It's in Italian, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> no, but that's that's what they were, their focus and their philosophy was, you know. Everyone follows the same road. Yeah. Build, build, build team team spirit. Yeah, I feel like that's something that's kind of lost in you. Know, well, even speaking to um, when I had well Peter Ramage on the podcast, and I've had Carl Bell as well, who was the goalkeeper with Rami. Yeah, and they were talking about what it was like back in their era at Newcastle, and everyone dug in. And uh, Rami mentioned a lot about like, the All Blacks mentality, like sweeping the sheds, and everyone's everyone digging in for each other. And I think that's something that's lost. Like, I remember when even when I was at the academy, when we were scholars and we had little jobs to do, there was lads who would always slack off, and like it was just simple things like make sure the change rooms tidy before you leave, like. Put your boots in the in the on the peg, like make sure the towels are, are in the in the bucket. Like lads wouldn't do it, and it would piss me off so much. It's like a simple thing. Like if that's not done, we're not leaving. Then like there's always one or two lads that go around clean up after everybody, but it shouldn't be like that. It can't be like the same two or three lads sweeping up after everybody. Like we're it's a team, and that obviously will transfer onto the field. Like if one lad like makes a mistake or something like that, the team needs to recover and get back in the shape and try and win the ball back for that obviously team but like for that one player who's made the mistake it just it kind of transfers 
and obviously the Italians have seemed to seem to have it right, um, from what you're talking about. But I think it's something that young lads probably, because they get a lot done for them. Like I said, these days, and I was I was the one who fell into that category when I was young, and you don't learn it until you get older. A lot of the time, don't learn those lessons until it, t- it takes things happening for for those lessons to be learned. So, where did, what were your loan spells like when you when you were in Italy? Really good. I, go? Well, it started off really well. I went to League Two. Uh, with Monopoly, don't laugh, and uh, and I, I started on the bench like the third centre half, and I yeah. and I fought my way in early, and I got in, I stayed in the full season, and I I got player of the season, so that was just a great. I thought I'm on my way here now, like so, like your your main clubs, are Regina were controlling my moves, kind of thing, so I've done really well there, and then I jumped up to Serie B the year after and then I became like the fourth choice centre half because I was 21 um, and the, the third choice was uh, Fabio Pizzacane who he, he's now played the last four or five years in Serie A with Cagliari like he he was where he went on to do incredible stuff you know he's still going now so I had him in front of us and then I had two like all the pros like played in Serie A loads like seven, six seven years so I was just happy to be in that environment and learning and get me chance when I, I could and and I, I played ten games that year which I was I was kind of happy with as a centre half mm-hmm. I'm playing full back a lot of them and I really came on and improved physically and tactically and technically it was just incredible the learning I got um, mm-hmm. and the end of that year I had another year with them and they, they went bankrupt so. And this was like obviously 2007 was the the the, the recession, you know the um, the global like financial crisis. Yeah. So all these all these clubs started to come into bother. This was 2008 when I went 2008 nine or nine ten when I went there. So the clubs were starting to fail. Like the year after, uh, Monopoly went into uh, bankruptcy or liquidation, whatever. Then the team I went to after did, I think four teams and we five teams went into liquidation. And we hadn't gone down. It wasn't like it failed and then mm-hmm. it just went down to the fifth or sixth tier and had to rebuild again. So it was just a terrible time for for clubs financially. Yeah. Yeah. Did that give you a chance with the which so which team were you signed with at the time? Was it still Regina, is it Regina? I can't remember. I don't know. So they, they went in the final. Regina, yeah. Uh, Ancona. Mm-hmm. So I went to League One. A League One team bought us uh, for like a part ownership thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, it didn't go well for us. Um, I got ill and I didn't start the season. Actually, again, name dropping again. Luca Cepitelli, who's the captain of Cagliari now. He, he took my place. And I and I couldn't I couldn't really get back in. I played fifteen games like in in before January. And then I went I went to another team in the same league, uh, with a lot of actually high profile players, but they were struggling. They were near the bottom. I went to Cosenza, uh, Cosenza where uh, Pavel Cernicek played there actually. Um, yeah, Newcastle legend. And um, again, they went into liquidation at the end of that year. So yeah. it was a tough. It must have been. Yeah, I was going to say, it must have been a tough mentally. I was going to talk about, obviously, you had that year when you got player of the year when you were on loan. 
What helped you as a young lad in terms of confidence going from game to game, obviously breaking into the squad and, and then playing? What helped, is there anything you felt helped your confidence or was it just purely from having a good game and then it led on to the next one and led on to the next one? Or was it, was it kind of up and down throughout the seasons, if you can remember? It was just, again, real hunger. Like, mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wouldn't be intimidated by anything or in training, I would really show that I, I want to play. Like, I would get into a lot of bother in training. Like, you know, a little bit of, like, fisty cuffs now and again because I was I was going in hard and I was, like, I was trying to... I was very hungry and very aggressive. And I was showing it. Yeah. Where do you... Where do you think that came from? Did you have it at a young age as well? Or do you feel like you developed it at a certain point? Or is it something you've been brought up with? I've always been, like, um, hungry and, and, and like, um, never gave up and battled till the end. But the, the, if I'm honest, the aggression came maybe a little bit because I, they didn't know me in the whole English, you know, like, tough English players, which I probably wasn't. I was, like, a midfield player, like, playing passes and stuff growing up. Mm -hmm. And and doing a, too many Cruyff turns, you know what I mean? But I, they didn't know that, so I, I kind of became mm -hmm. uh, what they thought I was, and, and I kind of became that player for real, you know, aggressive and and no nonsense. And, and then I slipped, obviously went back in the centre half, and I had to be even more so uh, a player like that with those characteristics. So I kind of became the persona which which they put on me and I put on myself, you know, yeah, yeah. fresh start, a chance to have a fresh start and create a whole new uh, identity. Yeah, identity, yeah, I was going to say, that That probably did help. Do you, cause do you feel like you would, would develop that mentality eventually playing in England? Or even if you were, st say like, you can never say what would have happened if, but if you stayed in England, say you got a, a scholarship in Newcastle, do you feel you would have I like, got that identity or do you think it would have kind of not softened you but not created you think the, the mentality that you had a kind of hard hardcore mentality sort of thing uh, i think you've always kind of got it and it'll always i had it when i was nine ten in the you know going into trials yeah like i had like but as far as the player you become i think i wouldn't off because there's there's already a lot of players like that in england there's a lot of i wouldn't have been able to compete there's mm -hmm. too many of them I would have still been trying to be that midfield player who plays passes and sits in front of the defence. Like, there, I, I had a chance to be the English, like, you know, the English warrior, which who yeah. they didn't know. And, and uh, I, lived, I lived up with for quite a while, you know. Yeah. Did the fans like that? Did the, the fans kind of support of you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially that first year, it was... It's embarrassing. I'll get some stick for this, but like they would, they would call us the wall. Like they'd hold signs up and that, like, yeah. like you know, the wall with a big white banner, and and I'd go to like the ultras, you know, the ultras, the fans, the crazy fans. Like I'd go to their little hideout thing, where they all drink and they've got scarves everywhere, and I'd be like, because they'd ask questions about hooliganism and English rivalries, and they just, they just warm to me, and and I like, I. I fought for them on the pitch, and it was it was a really good time for me. Um, yeah, that must have boosted your confidence so much. Having that kind of environment and support from from the fans as well it must have helped you a lot. 
It was incredible. It was. I don't think I had a time like that again. To be honest, I, like it's almost as I peaked too early. Uh, yeah. I never really got to those levels again, as far as like a relationship with the, with the fans and. But it was. I'm really happy that I got at least to taste that. You know. Yeah, yeah. It goes to show though how much like fans and the support network you have around you. Obviously, you go into a different country. We'll talk about obviously what was it like living there and stuff, but going into a different environment if you've got the fans behind you supporting you and you feel kind of part of that environment straight away it'll just help your confidence massively like it's like fans these days if, if a young lad comes on maybe his first few games like that sort of encouragement not just for the fans but the teammates of it that will obviously boost the young lads like confidence. even if he does the simplest thing right like that like just switches the ball well or something like that or like has a shot it's on target like that sort of encouragement, like fans saying well done or whatever it is, will help young lads a lot. Because I think you can get some brutal fans these days. Especially, especially well, to be fair, especially in the North East, the fans can be very brutal. Oh, if, you want to talk, if you want to talk about brutal fans, it's like, uh, uh, Italy was, was incredible for that. And But but to be fair, non-league football in the North East is brutal because you can hear them. You can hear everything. Mm-hmm. And the close to you, yeah, and the kind of the speak your like your language as in you know, it kind of stings a bit more because they're, they're like you, they're from where you are, and, and it's it's horrible really. As a foreigner, you hear things and whatever, but it's not as it doesn't hit you as hard because it's just like, you know, foreign, yeah. foreign swear words or whatever. But as far as the hooligans, the that first. I think it was this the first derby we played in Monopoly. I was actually I still hadn't broken in. It was the third game or something. We'd lost the derby, and the fans on the the curva, you know where they all go, the the ultras, the fans. Yeah, yeah. They call us over at the end of the game. We lost two one, and I had like like bats and and they were going mental and they were like, take off your shirts, lie them on the grass, or we're gonna come over. And I'm like a young, I don't, I don't really know the culture. I don't know. And I'm like, no, I'm not taking them off. And one of the ones who I, I had a bit of chat with, who's in the crowd, he's going, seriously, take it off. Like, take it off. Yeah. So, and everyone's just taking them off straight away. Like old pros that play like high levels. Like they're just taking them off. I'm like, what's going on here? This mental. So it was like, a, it was, yeah. a, um, it was symbolic, like how powerful they are. They stripped us in front of everyone. Well, just top off. And we'll lay them down. And we walked off with our tails between our legs. And the Monday after, the head of the ultras came in, just came in, burst the, the door open, threw the black bin liner on the floor with all our strips in. He was like, sorted out quickly. We were only three games in. We've lost the derby. It was like a wake-up for us. And I'm 20 year old. I'm like, what is this? So there, I was already sharp. Like I'm not making no mistakes here. I'm I'm fighting here. Yeah. These are crazy. That makes you. That'll make you switch on like hella quick if something like that happens. Yeah, hundred percent. Ripping like some people. Sometimes you need that though, don't you? Sorry. It's like it's it's almost like you you you're threatening for your own life at that sort of point when people are coming in, kicking the door down, and you have to take your top off and stuff like that. It's kind of. Quick, quick lesson learned: Don't get beat in a derby. Simple. But if you, even if you got beat, you couldn't, you couldn't go out of the cafe or like in the centre and have a walk around because they're there and the and the on you and the talk to you and the say stuff to you. And it's it's like you're gonna get in all locations all the time. You know, like mm-hmm. I remember once I was in the supermarket later on a few years later, 
and it wasn't going well and we, we weren't winning games. And he, and he was like, he coming up with me trolley and he was picking out stuff in me, in me, sh- me shopping trolley. Like, like I had a frozen pizza and then some oven chips and that, but they weren't even really for me. Like, and he's going, oh, this is why we're getting beaten. We shouldn't be eating that. And I'm like, whoa, like you can shout at us in the ground when you paid your money, but not in the supermarket. Like you do, yeah. like you're getting into these sort of little, like threatening little moments because they're so passionate. Um, mm-hmm. They've threatened players. They've, they told one player to, if he came back after Christmas to break his legs. And this player played high level. He was 35. He hadn't scored. He think he scored one before Christmas. And they blocked him in in the cars and went to his window and went, don't come back. He didn't come back. This professional football, he isn't coming back for the second part of the season because he's been threatened. Yeah, It's incredible. What, what, was the, what does the management say about that in terms of the club? Are they kind of with the fans in terms of like, like whatever they say goes? They keep, sense. they keep the fans on side so much at this very club because it was going a bit bad. And um, they let the fans in to a close, like it was a closed training session in the stadium. They let them in to let off steam so that they didn't do anything else more serious. So this was like yeah. one of the one of the worst um, experiences for me. Um, we're training, we're playing like a possession game or whatever, and they're just there, just insulting. They're there to insult us. So whoever got the ball would just be getting abused. Like them, your mom, your sister, your girlfriend, just going in on you. Like you didn't want the ball, we're playing one touch. Like you're just trying to get rid of it quick. It was horrific. And then we'll come off and they're throwing like bottles and like pissing, pissing in bottles and throwing it. Like this is to calm them down so they don't do anything like smash the place up and that and or get us like when we're on our own and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. So that was annoying that the team didn't have our back and say, no, you can't come in and insult our players. So that's, that's, that's abuse. But now they let them. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that helped the team? Like, give them a kick up the arse? Or do you feel it kind of more was a negative thing overall than a positive? I think when you cross a certain line... In terms of re- it becomes fear. So, say in terms of the results after, yeah, after the afterwards, in terms of results, what were the results like? Uh, it's similar. Like you can't really. We were working when you're working as hard as you can, anyway. That's what, like you can fight and you can try, and that's all you can do sometimes. And if the football's not working, it's not working. And that was just. I thought that was a step too far, like going down that road. Yeah. Yeah, probably just goes to show, like, in terms of the old school hairdryer treatment. I'm just t- trying to think if it actually worked, like their sort of their sort of method. You can kind of call it if that sort of like kind of works with teams, like giving them a bollock and making them shit themselves that much that they need to go and win every single game. Like it could, it it could work with. So it depends probably on the team, doesn't it? And depends on the individuals in your team. Was there anybody who really struggled with that that you can remember, like in your teams that you that you played with? Oh, a lot of young players. I they just they couldn't they couldn't deal with the pressure, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of them would get picked on as well. Like um, even some of the older players, like an older player I played alongside, he he was taking a lot of it. Like uh, even in the like the the paper, they would would go after him after him in the like with the scores, and he really didn't enjoy that year. 
because of that. And and he wasn't particularly playing bad, but they, they sometimes just need a villain. They need someone to to go after if it's not going well. And if it is going well, mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's someone who's the, the like the guard of the team. So they build, they build him up. Yeah. Not, you'll not pay for food in the city. You'll not like that's the way they are. They're very emotional. Um, yeah, one way or the other. It's crazy that. Do you, reckon, is it, do you reckon it's still like that now? Oh, I think that's yeah. just uh, still like that now. Definitely, definitely crazy that. That is, it's a crazy. I mean, and to be fair, it's interesting because I didn't know it was that serious. Obviously, you hear about the ultras and all that sort of stuff, but I didn't know how actual like it can actually affect people's letting the train going to come. They just take over the team. I did not realize that. Like League One, the um, we we ended up playing playing for free really in the last few months because. Pay would come like two months late, three months late. Would would be kind of used to that. That's the way it worked. Um, but then it would be like four or five months in, and we're still we still were playing for free. Um, and the ones couple of the big players who could could have helped us really were like, no, I'm not doing it anymore. And because they said no, like I remember the fans like busting in, like trying to get through the door of the of the changing room. I'd trying to get at players, trying to swing at them, and the ones who weren't gonna play for free. Do you mean? Yeah. Like, oh, you'll get the money anyway. Like, we might have got the money anyway, but we were still given everything while not getting an income from it. You know? It's, yeah. They're like, no, you've got to die for the, you've got to die for the badge. And they, because they yeah. did. You know. Uh huh. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like people put so much effort. Like even see it these days. Like obviously not to that level, but like Newcastle fans and stuff. They they put the heart and soul into it. It's crazy. Like how much. And then obviously as a player, you know that. So it's taking an added little additional pressure, which is it is it is mental. How did you deal with the um, living the lifestyle over there? Obviously apart from Nelly getting killed in a, in a supermarket because you were having pizza how did you deal with that sort of the foreign culture should i say did you did you enjoy it loved it obviously like the food the weather i adapted the heat but i loved the heat like it was i was i was redder than a tomato every single session like but i was just <laughs> dripping with factor 50 but i got used to it acclimatized and and i loved it the the, the culture the food just one of the older players used to take us out um, once or twice a week. He was like experienced. He'd take us to these like Mitchell and Star restaurants and like teaches the ways and teaches how to eat spaghetti and wines and and I just loved it. I loved the quality um, and this and obviously the scenery of the places I was living in. It was always I was always coastal, so it was just like it was just a shame that all the the negative stuff was going on anyway. But it also brought a lot of flavour to, to me experience, um, and, mm-hmm. and built us up a lot and like made us stronger. I think. I've never yeah, definitely would have built in, in this country or even in Germany, like in Malta. I never come close to any sort of intimidation like I did in Italy. So. Yeah, do you feel like obviously talking about other teams that you played against playing in Germany and Malta? Do you feel like that there was a big difference in terms of? Italy was very serious and intense compared to other places. What what was obviously Germany and Malta like? We'll talk about your your, your time there. What was that like? Brilliant. A uh, bit different. Um, 
the when I, when I started in Germany, it was really it was it was probably one of the happiest moments. It was a fantastic club. We'd get like seventeen thousand fans a week. It was a brand new stadium, like thirty thousand see the stadium because they dropped down um, from the top league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful facilities. I, st- I was starting, I was playing really well. Um, I, and it was the the fifth game in and uh, I just, my ankle went and I was out, I was out for the whole season. I had uh, two operations that year and it just kind of killed us when I was kicking on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I got back a bit and Played another year. We did all right, and I moved to another team, and they actually won the league in my third year or fourth year in Germany. Which was I just always wanted to win a league, like or win something in me, because you know you've got about ten or twelve years, fifteen years if you're lucky. I just wanted to win, be that top team, and I and I did it mm-hmm. um, with KFC Erding. Don't laugh again, KFC Erding. <laughs> Which were actually by KFB as well. Really? It was Krefeld. Oh, freebies after the game. Oh, yes. Gift cards. Yeah, um, cards. <laughs> um, That's class. I but no, like, it's just like obviously Italians cross the line. They cross, they, they, they break boundaries. That's why they've got nets and fences and poles up because, which actually I think affects them more because they, they can bang against them and they can't. In England, there's no barrier, so people don't really want to actually step over. Yeah, it's a it's a funny thing. But um, I had two, me both, my girls, my daughters were born in Germany, and I loved the country. It was clean and everything was organised, and you got paid on time, not like where I'd be come from. So it was just again a a, a really wonderful experience. Yeah. How was your? How did you deal mentally with the injury? Obviously, you just briefly. T- I think we've talked about it before, but ankle injury. How did you deal with that? Obviously, when you were things were going so well and you were starting this new team, new facility, and stuff like that. How did you deal with that? Again, I'm keep going back to it. I'm not even meaning to, but it was like um, being driven and hungry to to keep doing the best I could because I I, I got the MRI on my ankle and my wife. Um, at the time was pregnant so I've got like a kind of bit of pressure on us now uh, you know I've got a, a, what did I have a one year contract and I'm I'm going to be out for most of it and I've got a baby coming and the doctor actually said I would maybe start thinking about other another career like doing something different because this isn't you're always going to have pain and problem here it's not going to get any better it's like a there's nothing we can do in the area. So it's basically like just cartilage is gone and, and bone on bone in my ankle. But I just, I couldn't really accept it. And I just kept going and he didn't do a very good job. And I, after four months, I had it done again. I had to go back. So I really fought back and did everything to to get out my first operation. I'd, I'd never had one before. and I, I did everything right. Got back and it, it wasn't done properly. It was still hurting. It was still still bone touching so I had to go again go back I got a different doctor and he fixed it a little bit better for us so I've got about at this point I've got 10 games left to win a contract like earn another year and I played five of them I managed to get back in and played five and they offered us a two year deal after that which it saved us really because I was Mm -hmm. 
and I'd put everything into to that. Like it was exhausting. Um, I'd start a family and everything as well on top of that. And it just, it gives us a second to breathe. Like I'm going to go, oh, I can have an actually summer. I can have a summer next year where I'm not thinking about getting another contract. You know, because mm. normally it's just one year deals, isn't it? Nowadays, yeah, at yeah. that level, uh, yeah. Do you feel um? Obviously, the situations that you've been in, they all seem very high pressure, like very, very high pressure. The scenario you just talked about, the scenario in Italy where you've got the the fans on your case. Do you before games? Do you get much nerves, or is it just like obviously tunnel vision sort of thing? And do you not really think about it too much? I do get nervous. I. I get nervous, but I've just used all the usual psychology bullshit. Like it's just preparing you to get you in the right frame of mind. To I try and talk to myself like that. I don't like hanging around in the change room. I hate. I, you know what I mean? I'm like I just. Yeah, I'm saying. Once you're on and it's going, it's fine. But it's just that waiting around thing. Um, I think yeah. the goalkeeper, like yourself and in the centre half, we are. We, there is more pressure on us. We can't make mistakes. We've got to be focused. There's no like. I always think about this and think how midfielders and forwards must look forward to games and oh, I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to try and score or like if I give the ball away it's fine like I'll just chase back and try and get it back yeah. we cannot make mistakes so that adds already some pressure which you learn to deal with and um, just talk yourself out of things really yeah you mentioned psychology that when did you start kind of looking into that have you, have you seen a psychologist and stuff before or is it all just kind of experience that you've that you've learned how to deal with things? I, I do think like that with myself and try and improve myself and how I think. But I did get a psychologist early on at Newcastle, actually, just before I got released. I needed, I thought I needed mm-hmm. some help in that year before they made decisions. And he came and he, and he did a few exercises with us and all about putting you in the right place by focusing on positive things and and training yourself on a night thinking about all the good positive stuff and saying a magic word when you felt good and then I had to say that word before I started the game and if I felt nervous I would say the word and I tried it and maybe it's a bit of placebo effect made it work for a week or two but it just fizzled off um, so I've never really used one since I don't know have you have you used one yeah no because I've tried like I used to be, well, to be fair, I do get into the habit of being very superstitious about stuff. Like, say I had a good game, I do everything the same that I did that game. But then, like, things happen, Get every game's not the same. Like, the th- thing, like I, f- I feel like there isn't a scenario that you can do the same thing every single time. You're going to get the same output, in football especially. Like, every game is completely different. The weather might be different. You might get a dodgy back pass, the ball, I just, they, anything could happen. So I don't think you can... You can do certain things to make you feel better, but in the game, you just have to deal with the situation as it comes. Football's a very unpredictable game. I don't think you can get too caught up in superstitions and this, that and the other, because imagine like one of your superstition things or whatever you do, your rituals, doesn't go well before, like in the warm-up or whatever it is, and you're constantly thinking about that during a game. It's going to be on your mind thinking, oh, now I'm going to have a bad game, I'm going to have a bad game, and then you're already thinking negatively. I think... If it makes do whatever makes you feel good before a game, but as soon as the game comes, as soon as you're on the pitch and the whistle blows, you don't really think, do you really? It's just like you're just there. I'll be a dick, I'll be a show off dick. Go on, I'll give you a phrase in Italian which that player who uh, Fabio Pizzacani, who 
um, went on to do really well. He told me this when we're talking about it, like some players were putting the boots on, like left boot first, right foot. And, and he said, um, Le scaramanzie condizionano la vita, siamo noi i padroni del nostro destino. Which means that the superstitions condition your life. We are the owners of our destiny, which is, it's, it's, it's pretty nice, that, isn't it? Like, yeah, it is. Sounds nice in Italian as well. Condition your life and put these things on yourself. You are the owner of what you do. Like, obviously, you understood mm -hmm. what I said before, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had to drop that in. I'm sorry. I'm going to get some stick for that. I like I like that. Can I, I want to get that and put it on Instagram when it when it comes. You have to translate it for me when it comes on. That's very nice. It is true though. Get a like you said, like if you're in, <laughs> what's that? Get a tattoo. <laughs> get a tattoo in it. I know. We're gonna have to do it after this podcast now. <laughs> if this uh, podcast gets more than a thousand views, I'm like, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that. Easy. Do well. Easy. We'll see. He's easily, easily. But no, it is exactly right what you're saying. Like you can't look too deep into things and worry about like it's like worrying about the future and stuff like that like you you're in control of what happens like you can't worry about like i don't know like like it's like my girlfriend worries about if, if her daughter or son when she is going to be okay but like we're not even like at the stage of having a kid sort of thing like you can't worry about the future i'm just gonna just gotta accept what happens things might happen like covid a virus for example might happen you can't think like all oh, right if i start a business now something might happen or if i go and try and play football somewhere um, you, you just gotta just deal with it as it comes i think and i've probably learned that because like i said i used to be very superstitious and worry about this worry about that but you've just got to kind of relax some days will go bad some days will go good but if, as long as you are doing that everything you can each day like consistently then in the end yeah overall good stuff should happen absolutely i think so i like that again i like that little phrase though i'm gonna have to what was the what was the guy called i want to google him after fabio Pizzacane. There we go. For everyone listening, there we go. Perfect. So, talking about one thing that you mentioned, obviously, when I first asked you to do a podcast, you just mentioned a few brief little things. You put injuries, divorce, and tragedy, which is something, if you don't mind talking about, obviously, dealing with divorce and tragedy within your life while playing football. Do you mind talking about it? Uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty open about it, really. Obviously, not going into too much detail, but like. Um... I mean, the, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the problem with this is, and, and or maybe why it's it's all right to talk about is is because, like sometimes bad things happen here, and obviously we all know this. Things happen to everybody. Um, I just kind of got I got quite a few all at the same time, and maybe one affected the other, and and, and I'm not really sure why some of the things started, but. As as me as me marriage was breaking down, me me my older brother got got ill. Um, he was he was thirty six at the time, I think, and he he was given given a year to live basically with a brain tumor. So and it, it, like he was he was the person who I would call. You know, everyone's kind of got a person who would ring up and ask advice, and um, at every contract I'd ring them. And, if I had problems in, in my relationship, I'd ring them up or, or just for a laugh. We're, we're on the phone every other day, really. And and he was he was important in my life. And, and that happened. And I was like in my fourth or fifth, fifth year in Germany. 
so while while that's just starting to progress and and get worse, uh, my marriage was breaking down, and at the same time, I just had my knee operation. So it would actually gone up the league as well, and things were going well football wise. If I'd got myself back, um, and I came to the decision, um, it was November time that I'm, I just had to stop. Like I couldn't. It was the first time where see I would I would train and I would make a mistake and train and I would just completely stop I would just stop on the spot I would walk like you don't do that you don't do that it's your job you're getting paid you be professional all the time it was getting to the point where I wasn't being professional anymore because I didn't care like I had other things that would just just made everything else seem so tiny I couldn't function I was trying to be brave and I was trying to but I was just I was just breaking down uh, not not emotionally in front of people but me me energy and me will was gone my motivation was gone for football and and probably my relationship um, and I just I left I, I got a I managed to get a couple of months uh, salary and I, and I left Germany in November uh, to spend the last last seven weeks with my brother um, in he was close to time off um, in the in a hospice, and were there every day. The whole family was there, and I, that was my full focus at that time. And unfortunately, we, we did lose him on Christmas Day, actually, which is which is horrendous. But and I'm not trying to make a big like um, sob story. It's just this this happened, and it's and it was real, and I never expected this to happen. So. Mm-hmm. You end up with your marriage breaking down when your kids are with the mom, and you, you're trying to you're trying to see them and trying to sort out, but while dealing with the, the emotional shock and stress of of my brother, while completely just dismissing my career, everything I'm about, everything I've worked for, everything I've pushed for, I don't care anymore. I don't want to play. I'm done. Like I, I just came home and got through that, and I just had to, I had to think about it after that I can't stop. I can't give up now. Like I can't um, change careers. I've got to try and have another go, have another little, last little push to see if I'm up to it or not. And I got an, I got an offer from Malta. I went in like middle of January time um, to try and get in the UEFA Cup. They were, they were battling to try and get in. They were like third or fourth. And, and I went and I stuck at it and it was, it was probably a good distraction at the time. Um, away from everything and we, we, we did qualify for the UEFA Cup I never got to play in it but it was still a, like a mini achievement for us and after that I was like right I'm done I'm coming home I've got to be close to my children and and um, and try and focus on a on a new chapter a new a transition into a new life because I can't push anymore like I, I used to I can't do it I don't mm-hmm. And and I went to Spennymoor, you know, Jason Ainsley gives an opportunity and I and I and I did give everything to to Spennymoor and we did well. Like I played I played thirty games and we got to the the final of the playoffs, nearly getting into the conference. But I I wasn't I was a I was I wouldn't say I was a shadow, but I wasn't where I've been at before. Um and I'm just trying to I'm actually trying to get back mentally 
to where I was, you know, when I'm actually training, when I'm on the pitch. But it's it's been a battle. Um, and I think it's just a lesson to people, you know, things are going to happen. They might not all happen at once, but bad things will probably come. It's a bit freaking doom and gloom, isn't it? <laughs> no, man. Hey, well, I know it's that. Positive, but, it's positive mate, because I've this, this is this is the stuff that needs to be talked about, though. Like we appreciate like you talking about this stuff because a lot of people think that they're the only one who goes through stuff. And like what you've been through is like it's not just one thing. It's like a number of different things at once. And it goes to show you needed to get rid of one of them things, which was football, unfortunately, to obviously get your mind in a place. And people feel like they need to take everything onto their shoulders and keep it all in and, and not actually talk about it and stuff like that, which is, it's, it's the wrong thing. Like you can't, when you're in a mental state, when like tragic things happen, like you talk about divorce, family members, like it need, you, you can't have all that weight on your shoulders. You can't keep carrying all them things and then trying to obviously carry, like at the, at the moment you were trying to carry obviously two daughters and then your brother trying to obviously look after them. You can't then go and perform on the pitch because you're not in that mental space. Like, sometimes you need to knock that thing on the head. It's, it's as sad as it is, and that's the reality of life because it, it could have got way too much, which is obviously when you see the, the cases where it does get too much for some people. But obviously you've, you've, you've came out of it, still here, and then obviously you went and played football and you, you, you're still a happy man now. And you, it's, it's, it's kind of built your mental strength. You can see that you're very mentally resilient after all the things you've been through, not just within Italy, Germany and then obviously what just happened but stand you in good stead for for life down the line and obviously telling your story can probably impact a lot of people so we appreciate it it's not all do doom and gloom no it's it is it's a good to talk about I think it is a positive um, outcome and I'm, I'm actually coming out with the the tunnel and and, and uh, getting myself stronger mentally and and um and doing well in, in other things than football now. You know, I've got my me, me job um, with Parkview and it's, it's going well. It's a great place to work and I'm enjoying being out there and coaching and teaching. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously a blad, it's, a, it, it's, it's an exciting time if we could just actually get on the pitch and play, you know? Ah, uh, yeah, I know. And I've, I won't be long, mate. Now and moving on. It, you can come out of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes to show as well, like, as much as when you're a footballer, footballer is your life, there is more to life than football. Like, you need to be able to have that that thing outside of the game to not not just to switch off, but just to have something there for when football obviously ends. Because it's going to end eventually. Like, obviously, people put the whole life into it, but it is going to end eventually. But obviously, you've got to be that balance of putting all your effort into something, which you did for a lot of number of years, and you had a great career because of it. But then there has to be a time where you do, like when you have family and when like, something might tragically happen in your family, you do need to kind of back away and look at other things and have that that kind of second, not second resort, but sort of thing to yeah. fall back on in a sense, just something, something to switch, you, switch your mind off. How did you find the transition, obviously, from full-time football, that's your whole life, that's everything, into kind of part-time, working on side, looking after your family? At the same time, how did you find that that change? Difficult. Um, I couldn't just wander around, go for a coffee in the morning, like do whatever I wanted, you know. And, like I've actually got to get up and go to work. You know, I've, I haven't got much time now to do what I want to do. Uh, but it's busy, and I, I think I need to be busy and doing something which I, I'm passionate about, which is like working with younger younger people people who aspire to do things that I've done 
um, that's where I kind of I get a lot of energy from that. Um, I'm not really I'm not motivated to buy money or I'm not I'm not chasing that anymore. Like I, there was periods I was like chasing it and planning things and thinking what I could do with money the, the little money I had and um, I just I just forgot about that now and and I enjoy the day to day the interactions with people trying to help them. Um, trying to enjoy me football, which is something that, you know, people don't really enjoy playing if you're in the game. Uh, you might enjoy a good, a good win or if you play really well, but it's, it's quite a stressful business yeah. to be in. Um, restrictions. Like I've started enjoying different foods now and, and having a drink now and again, which I couldn't do before, which sounds stupid, but you know, I was strict on myself. Yeah. So, I'm enjoying the transition. It's healthy. It's it's a new chapter for me, um, and that's what you've got to keep doing. You've got to keep changing up each chapters. When one when when you see one fading out, you've got to got to move on. Yeah, it's that when people keep on trying to chase something that maybe isn't there. Sometimes there is a time where you do have to look at things and look at the big picture and think like, is it worth everything? But that's known that you can't be saying that. In kind of use it as an excuse for something like there's people who quit for the sake of quitting and there's people who have a, a kind of at the end of that path and onto a different journey you kind of need to realize that in a sense but again it's a, it's a diff difficult decision to make especially with football like coming out of something that you put your, your whole life into and then finding that that balance with family and, and getting a job and then still obviously still enjoying the game which is a big thing i think like you said at the level like the part-time level it's a an important thing to to enjoy the game and I think when, whenever you enjoy the game, I always find when I'm enjoying a game, you're playing your best. It's like, I've listened to a, a few podcasts with, I think Joe, Joe Hart does a few with a few goalkeepers. He talks about like the best feeling when he's on the pitch is when he's having a good game and it feels like he's a kid again and he's in, he's in the park with his mates, kicking the ball around. Yeah. Like when you get that kind of good game, that kind of buzz. So it's nice, rare to, that, nice to get that. It's quite rare. What's that? It is. Rare that, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is tough that... To get in that mode, especially when it's, even at the level that we're playing, at, it's very competitive, like very serious, and obviously the fans are still crazy at that level. Obviously not crazy to the level of on Italy, but still, it means a lot oh. to them. It means it means a lot, and you've still got to go out and perform. But trying to find a bit of balance of enjoyment, and obviously, it's still it is a job at the end of the day. It's still it still is a job. Um, but now it's good to see that you kind of find that balance at the end of not the end of your career, but end of your professional career. To be honest, you can't you can't really switch that off. Like we go yeah. whether you're for for the pub team, like you're gonna if you've been in the game so long and you're built like that, you're gonna give everything every time. Mm. Like and sometimes it's been to my downfall because I've I've not I've, like I've trained too hard for how I'm feeling with 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 pains and different. Like you can't turn it off. I can't turn it off. Mm -hmm. Like I've. I haven't been really smart with with um, my body over the years. I've I've just I've kept pushing it when I maybe I should go. I'm knackered. Can I like just do a bit jogging the day and go like have a bit stretch instead of killing yourself? Yeah, just running. I'm the same. I'm the same with that in terms of like you feel like you like say like you say to a coach, oh, I'm knackered today. Or, like my knees a little bit sore, my ankles a little bit sore. Y'all thinking that well, to be fair, a lot of coaches might just think, oh, he just doesn't want me, just doesn't fancy it today. Uh, but I think a lot of coaches have got to be a bit more open to the fact that like he generally might actually be a little bit tired. So it might be the smart thing long term 
to kind yeah. of back off a little bit. So you obviously the main thing is being prepared on a Saturday or on a Tuesday night, whatever it is, kind of feeling good on, on that day. Do whatever you can during the week, whether it is, take a day out if you need to. Say to yeah. your coach, look, I'm not today, can I go and do some recovery stuff or whatever it is? And I said that to a lot of lads because when I was younger, we were training a lot on the, the, the astral turf stuff and I was doing like triple days with my, up at nine, like out at nine o'clock doing some kicking with a squad at half ten and then they would be back out at two o'clock and I think the wear and tear is obviously just caught it was now and I'm only but I'm only 23 and I'm probably in the same state of what a lot of like there's probably pros who have looked after themselves who are like 35 36 who are in a better state physically than me but now I've now I've got to do literally everything I possibly can to keep myself fit and stuff like that but you can you got to manage it it's a long it's a it's a long but short career and you've got to think longevity when you when you're a young lad the sooner that you learn to to think longevity and look after your body like eating the right stuff stretching yeah. like starting yoga you into, are you into yoga do you like your yoga i do it now and again i like the, i like the hot bit. yoga you feel like you've done something because you're sweating yeah you're sweating it's nice that like, there's just simple stuff like that like start investing in your in your recovery and in your body because it's, it's your body for life and a lot of footballers struggle with arthritis if you have if you've had a surgery or you've had major injuries in football you're going to struggle when you're a little bit older, so you got to think, think long term in terms of that. I want to talk about your um, your art as well. You mentioned that. When did the? Um, come on, talk a little bit about when when did this start? This is when you. This is when your listeners are going to switch off, man. I know everyone's everyone's zoned out. There'll be a few people who like the arty stuff. I don't know. Oh, it's just something. I love it for the banner. Oh, they yeah. do love it. Come on, then. this is when you get abused. The real Bly fans are still listening to this one, and you're gonna get the jip. <laughs> no, it's just like it's been a, a a distraction for me. Um, in general, I had like a lot of time on my hands, and I just I just started doing it for because when you when you're drawn up painting, people have been sick now. Listen to this, isn't it? I, but, I like uh, this, mate. I'm all I'm all for it. No, I'm just it just it takes us away, and I'm concentrating on that. I'm not thinking about something else. So I just enjoy doing it. And then you know, people say, "Oh, you should try and sell them, do this, whatever." So I'm a bit, I don't like taking money from people for stuff. I don't, I'm not really a seller, but I'm, I'm doing it. I'm dabbling a little bit and uh, it's a bit of a hobby, a bit of fun, really. Uh, that's me, me protecting myself when no one buys one. Want it. But... <laughs> so I think you one, be... my dad and my brothers and that, like, you know, my sister-in-law's bought one, you know what I mean? Oh, nice. Very nice. You need to get a website set up so people can, uh, can buy it, buy it. Oh, have you got like a... Like a, fa- a page or anything like that. I swear, actually, I think I think you do. You got an Instagram page for it. I've got an Instagram and a Facebook. So, Alba Luna Art. So, my two little girls are called Alba and Luna. So it's uh, Alba Luna Art. I'm just kind of doing it, not for them, but like you know, um, yeah, at least nice. the animals I used to draw. So I just I just call it that. Very nice, mate. I like that. Go on then. We'll we'll finish off with the three questions. Do you remember the three oh, questions that are? The first one is three people you like to invite round for tea or go out for a coffee with. Go out for a coffee because it's Italian, isn't it? Go out for a coffee with. Who do you like to go out with a coffee with? It's a tough one. Um, I, 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 kept go, I keep going back to like uh, Joe Rogan and Russell Brand. I know Joe Rogan, he's, re- like, he's very common now, but I, I listened to him back in the day and um, I've learned so much from his guests and... Um, the way he thinks and stuff. So I'd, I'd love to chat to him. 
um, Russell Brand because he just he's just he knows seems to know a lot about uh, the other side the like relationships and um, I'm not spiritual at all really you know but I'm not religious but he he can go there if he wants so I think a good them too um, and I'd probably I'd probably I'd probably have my brother as well yeah it's cheesy but I'd probably have him to have a chat yeah. with him again. No, I like that. I like that one. It's very, all that you can tell is very, like, mindful, kind of, that's the whole sort of thing, like mindful individuals to kind mm -hmm. of learn a lot of, a lot of, less, a lot of lessons from. Right, next one. Three people you want to train with. So this can be, obviously, because I'm a PT as well. It could be in the gym or it could be football. Anything. One or the other. I like to train free kicks with Ronaldo. I scored one last year. I don't know how. But I'll call it <laughs> I want to practice then. Um, I'd like to build up my muscles with you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously. No, I do want to work with you because you know I've got a knee issue and yeah. we're gonna we're gonna get there, get around with one day. We will once this isolation lockdown no stuff finishes get it sorted. And I'd like probably like to go for a, just a little jog with more Farah. See what I can do. See what I can keep Just up a with. little one. Just a marathon. How long I for? At his pace, I looked at his um his marathon pace was my five k pace during lockdown. I, I really? that's that's a joke, an absolute joke. What was it? Either not. What well, my five k? Aye. Oh, I think it was only like twenty two minutes. No, I'm a, I'm a keeper and I don't run. Twenty two. It was like twenty two or five. I think. Can't remember. Probably hang on to more Farrah for like four minutes, probably. Yeah, five minutes. You just be, you just be off. Perfect. And then the last one, I might change it. We might, yeah, we'll change it. We'll go. One thing you'd say to yourself when you were six, you that that sixteen-year-old lad who obviously left Newcastle and you were playing, playing locally, maybe around the time when you were about to go about to go abroad. What would you say? I always give me best, so I wouldn't say like try harder or anything. I would just say focus in on on your strengths and where you think you can fit into a team and be like of benefit to a like as a to a coach because coaches want players with characteristics to fit into their style of play. So you, if you can really bring something and offer something to a a, a team, like if you're a defender, you need to tick off all the boxes that defenders do and really work on them. I got a bit, I, I got distracted by thinking I can play midfield and playing right back and left back or whatever and thinking I can go forwards and, and play passes. And I, I, I lost a lot of time thinking like that where I should have just stayed and worked on, on things what a centre-half does. And I, and, I, and I think it would have helped us a lot. Um, so focus, focus in on what your strengths are and and really really go at them, go at them hard, and don't don't try and be an all rounder. I would say you know you do get players like that. Chris Basham's one to mention him again. But focus <laughs> he must on be paying you. Yes, he, he isn't, which he should he, be because he's a wealthy man. <laughs> get on his case. But what you were saying there is exactly right. I think if you are the best 
at what you do in terms of if you work on your strength so much that you are the best person like in the league or in the country or whatever it is, at what you do, then that's what you're going to be known for. Managers are going to pick you, and that's going to be our role. So kind of just cement that role, which I think again, I think a lot of young footballers, especially to be fair, and goalkeepers especially, try and do a bit of everything. Like you're going to be yeah. fancy with your feet, this, that, and the other. Just like if you're a if you if you like me, you're not as great with your feet as as some people. Hone like work on the other aspects of it of your game and be the best. Like, be the best shot stopper. Be the best at crosses. Be the best communicator. Whatever it is, and just work with it. But you've obviously still you've still got to have different aspects of everything. Yeah. But the strengths hammer them down and and cement that position. But mate, it's been go on. What are you going to say something? There? I've stopped you. Go on. No, no, no. We could talk all night probably. Literally, could it's been? I don't even know how long it's been, but it's been an absolute pleasure. I know that, and I appreciate you talking about all your stories and everything. And I think a lot of people will kind of appreciate appreciate that and take a lot from this podcast. So thank you very much for coming on, mate. No, I, I think I just want to say how you know it's not uh, I'm not licking your ass, but you're doing a really good job, um, especially for your age. You you you're putting across a lot of good messages and and really mature with how you how you talk about things and. The guests you have on, you're getting some really valid, helpful points across to people. So, and you're growing fast. And if you just keep going, I think it's there's no there's no really stopping this this podcast and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, well done, mate. Thank you very much, mate. I appreciate that a lot. And hopefully, I'll be on your podcast when it comes out. We're obviously trying to keep it quiet at the minute, but we'll see. We'll see what well, happens with it anyway. Well, <laughs> been a pleasure mate anyway thank you very much for coming on and do you want to do you big on social media do you want to shout your social media out if anybody wants to follow you I'll do that sometimes if you want to it's your name but I'm private so oh well never mind no. doesn't I'm matter anyway spot on mate thank you very much for coming on i see you Tuesday <laughs> alright see you, see you Tuesday mate see you then <laughs> so thank you very much if you listened to this full episode and thanks again Chris for coming on and telling your story I think it'll hit a lot of people and hopefully it'll impact someone's life positively and they can listen to this story and take a lot from it so again as always if you did enjoy the podcast remember to share it on Instagram, Facebook, whatever you're on or just make sure you share it with one person that would mean the world to me if you could just copy the link share it with someone, share it with someone at work, share it with a family member or share it with someone who maybe needs to listen to this it might help them in some some way some shape or form. So that would mean a lot to me. So thank you very much as always for listening. This has been Process.